Welcome to the Pitbull Patty Show. I'm your host, Patty Stuckler. We're keeping it real here with straight talk and sharing true stories that will inspire you to change your life. Are you ready for this? Because here we go. I am very excited to introduce my guest author today. I would describe her as a super fun, really high energy, what I would say, California girl. She is very put together and has this naturally golden blonde hair, really petite and killer high heel shoes. She is somebody that you really notice and think, wow, this girl really has her stuff together. She looks like she probably surfs on her day off, you know, and, and and somebody I would say is probably, you know, the kind of girl that Beach Boys used to sing about. She lives in L.A. currently, and she is the author of a book called The Golden Thread. Welcome, Christiane Kate. I love that intro. No, I don't think anybody's ever given me that before. I'll take it. I don't surf, but I, I wish I did, too. Like I'm going with that. I'm going with that. And I know that you are a self-described popcorn addict. So I got to ask you, because I love popcorn myself, what's your favorite popcorn? So I do the air pop because it's guilt-free, but then I put about, seriously, a quarter of a stick of butter on that thing and and a good (laughs) amount of salt. I have had good success with the taste testers that have tried my popcorn version. But yes, every night, every single night, it's like a comfort food end of the day thing. It's really funny. So yeah, that's my addiction for sure. So you like it. What kind is your fave? Well, my favorite, absolutely bar none, is movie theater, actual going to the movie theater because they. I think they put crack in it. I don't know what. <laughs> they do something. I don't know. But I, I have never been able to duplicate that with any kind of popcorn you buy in the store. <laughs> that's true. It's, you can. You're absolutely right. You're totally right about that. So... Well, the amazing thing is for, for my listeners out there is that when you look at someone like Christiane, you know, you can easily assume that this, you know, this girl has such a sun-kissed life out in Orange County, California, where the sun shines every day. But, you know, what the truth is, what you don't realize is that everyone has a story and you don't know what they've been through. And today we're talking about a very heavy subject, the loss of a child, which Christiane knows all too well. So with that, Christiane, if you could really kind of take us back and and really describe kind of what really happened and what, what changed your life forever. So I just want to tell your four listeners, I promise not to be a downer. I think there's enough doom and gloom in the world, but I... I do feel like there's an upside, you know, whatever happens to you, you know, what do they say? You make lemons, uh, you make lemonade out of lemons. And I just think it really, I'll go into the starting point as, as you've asked, but I I thought I should preface that because I just don't want, I think we're going to laugh too today. So in terms of, I had the picket fence, the family of four, the son, the daughter, my son was eight. My daughter was seven. They were tight and close. We had amazing careers in sales, my husband and I at the time. And it's 2002, and I'm driving down a rural road in the Midwest on a on a normal, I guess it was about 7.30 in the morning on a Wednesday. I had an eyelash in my eye. I flipped down the visor to check it. It's two lanes on my side of the road, and I checked to make sure there were no vehicles that I was... Uh, the cruise control was set. I wasn't going to hit anybody while I was busy looking. There was no 
no vehicles around me for quite a ways in front of me, quite a ways behind me. There was one car behind me, but that was it. Nobody in the left lane. I checked the eyelash and I don't know, you know, I can't explain to you how fast that was, but the next thing I know, there's smoke. I've hit the back of something. I don't know where it could have come from. There's no on-ramps, no inroads right there. It's a rural road in Southern Minnesota. So at the end of the day, after being attached to the bumper of a utility vehicle, which I really only remember it being red or orange, we pulled over to the side of the road. My son died of seatbelt injuries that day. And my daughter had taken hers off about a mile before. And I think you know, just to, just to give you, I should back up for a second, but we had stopped at a McDonald's because my son needed to use the restroom and the guilt of not getting out of the car with him while leaving one in the car seat, which I knew would take 30 seconds. I sort of hopped out of the car. My husband had called me and I missed his call. I checked. I saw my son run into the bathroom. I knew that particular McDonald's. He ran in, he comes out. Everything is good. We get back in the car. I say, buckle your seatbelts. I start to back out of the parking spot. I know we have about an hour's drive to my mom's. We were going to hang out for the day and I was going to go to a job interview. And I ended up seeing a bird on the antenna of my car for some crazy reason and thinking to myself, that's a sparrow. I'm not a bird lover. I don't know birds. But that thought, his eyes on the sparrow came to mind. And and we had this ugly Dodge Astro van. No offense to anybody who has one. It was affordable. <laughs> and I remember thinking about that bird and backing out and getting on the freeway. And my daughter must have snuck hers off to take a nap, as it turns out. But she lived and he died. And the seatbelt injuries, I'm all for it. So so don't write Pitbull Patty about the fact that you're a seatbelt advocate. I am, obviously, too. It's a rare, rare circumstance. I think it's less than... of injuries. So if your child is in a booster seat, the the disclaimer I want to say here is make sure that they're sitting in that booster seat as long as they're supposed to be, that that seatbelt strap is across those hips and not across the abdomen where it can rise up. And they've since changed seatbelts quite a bit because that was again in 2002. So that's really what happened that changed everything. But that's the 30 seconds that for sure changed everything about my life. Wow. I, I, just truly cannot imagine. And I don't, I think that anyone who's experienced loss understands how painful it is, but I I just truly can't imagine the loss of a child being a parent and losing your child has got to be worse than any other type of loss out there. How did you, how did, you know, just tell me about, you know, the next day when you woke up the second day after that happened. I mean, how do you How do you even get up? You know, we slept in the hospital. I had patella injury, detached patella. And so they put me in a cast on my left knee. Things are miraculous in life, right? I mean, you hear the the, the miracle stories about the entire plane that goes down in a plane crash, but the one little boy on it who has burns all over his body lives and everybody else, you know, perishes in that. You you start analyzing why me, why, how could this happen? Um, I have a really strong faith background. So initially you're just in disbelief of like, this happened to somebody else. Your brain is trying to wrap around it. You're replaying it in your head and you, I think, you know, you're in denial too. I, I, I couldn't grasp that I had 
you know, so to speak, killed my own child. And so I think you deny it because you know, you love them. You know that you would die in their place if you had the opportunity, but that wasn't my choice. You know, you're making arrangements for, you know, who's going to, who's going to take this body to the funeral. Uh, we need to know that right now. How are you going to make the arrangements? What are you going to say? What size coffin? What are they going to wear in it? And I think really you have no time to think for 48 hours because you need to sit down and make phone calls to people and other people are making phone calls for you. It was a whirlwind 48 hours. I can't even tell you, you know, you don't really have time to think or process. You're just going through the motions because you have a goal in mind and that is to arrange for a funeral. And there's, you know, I think I slept, I remember probably one of the more poignant points in the book for me was that I felt as though if I could stretch my hand far enough, I remember my daughter sleeping with a neck brace. She had broken the front jaw, mandible piece of her jaw and fractured it in a lot of pieces. And so thankfully she's perfect to this today. So that's a great miracle and you need to focus on your miracles. Friends are amazing. You know, that there were some miracles that started right around that time also. I remember snuggling with my daughter and staying over a night in the hospital bed with her and and my husband slept on the window bench of the same room. And I saw that he was watching me in the middle of the night and I was holding my hand up and trying not to make a noise, but I was crying. I was so wishing that I could somehow feel him or pull him down or touch God's hand. Or, you know, if you, I I don't mean to sound religious. I, I just believe that at some point, your problem is bigger than you are and you can't solve this even if you wanted to. And so I was grateful that I had something else bigger than me to trust that tomorrow had a purpose and a plan and that hope would still come to my door. I was just going to ask you about that with, with your faith, because, because you, I know that you have such a strong faith background. Was, was that, you know, the driving force to where, you know, you're able to, to be the, the, the woman you are today and get through? Yeah. You know, I I had a lot of conversations with God and I I put that in the book too, where essentially, you know, the first thought is, you know, I went through with time that passes. I took Tums every day. The funeral was so painful and so strange to me. And like you find that your mental capacity is certainly diminished. You imagine things maybe that aren't completely there because your grief is so big and you're you know, reality doesn't, your mind doesn't catch up with your realities. And and that's sort of a crazy space to be in. But, you know, you promise yourself it's just this, and then it's just going to be this step, and then it's just going to be this step. And so one of the greatest things that started off the trajectory for hope was that, yes, the day of the funeral, my daughter woke up, that was their first night in the house. So the first night was in in the hospital, all of us, the second night we went home and we took our daughter with us. And Everything had been untouched and locked down in the house. Nobody was allowed to go there. We had a two-story house and upstairs, nobody, you know, even my parents were there, his parents were there, but there was a garage full of peace plants. Like, here's the beauty of how much people love you. And you're seeing it in the news today with the Las Vegas events and how the world comes together over hurricanes. I think there's so much good in the world. And I'm breathing because people give back to you and they see your hurt. And, but one of the first miracles that kind of occurred, and I just call it that because it's a gift of, I call it a God kiss or a a whisper of hope that comes to you in a difficult time. But 
my daughter woke up in her bed on the day of the funeral, two days after the accident. And she said, mama, 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 there's pennies in my bed. And I was trying to get dressed in the master bedroom for the funeral. Couldn't decide, had a cast on my leg, didn't want to wear jeans, didn't want to wear a dress. It was summer and I wanted to be comfortable. It's the first week in August. I don't care what I wear. I need to be comfortable and I suppose presentable. I don't think I put makeup on for three weeks because there was no point. And the penny, the penny, the pennies. And I looked in her room and one of my best friends had flown in, didn't even know it. And she's in there with my daughter and she says, well, you know, pennies are from heaven. That just means someone's thinking about you. I'd never heard that concept before. And there were literally 10 pennies in the bed. And I remember looking completely perplexed and saying to myself, well, were they there when you went to bed? And she's like, no. And I mean, I didn't even have time to process that. But as time went on, pennies showed up everywhere. Pennies to this day show up. You know, there would just be pennies, pennies, pennies. And somebody finally said to me, you know, on pennies, it says, in God we trust. On pennies, it says, liberty which was huge to me at that point because I felt captive to everything about my life. (laughs) It also says, in God we trust, liberty. And somebody else said, when they see change, it just means heads up change is coming, which is so prolific because everything about my life changed in that 30 seconds. And so there were small miracles like that. So you you see pennies. I see pennies. A sign of, of your son? Yeah, regularly. You know, I take it as a sign of goodness is still coming to you. You know, even in the darkest moments, it's a sign of something outside of yourself that, you know, is a wink, a God wink, a God kiss, a sign of, of coal, of something bigger than me, of a divine intervention in some way. And I know people, I used to look, if you're thinking this girl's a nut job, she just needed to connect because she's so desperate. Hey, that's what I used to think about people who went through tragedy. But the more people that I talk to that have been through this, they connect with me and they say, I see pennies too, or I see feathers, or I see butterflies. So it's, it's a real thing, people. It's out there. I think the other thing was that a flood of pictures started coming to me where my son, in prepping for the funeral, somebody had found this comic strip book that he had written in pencil on white paper, stapled together with two pages. And it shows cars with teeth in the grills, jagged pointed teeth. He's only eight. So these are not mastermind drawings, but he has a bubble in one of them. And he says, Captain Underpants, I think it was, and Lord have mercy, save us from the endangered cars. Somebody has the copy of that. I do not currently keep that copy, but I think his father has that copy. And so, you know, he... I remember reading that and thinking he knew, and he did come to me a month beforehand at 10 o'clock at night on a summer night. His father was traveling in another country and he crawled up on the bed with me. He said, mama, I can't, I can't sleep. I'm afraid I'm going to die. And this voice, so all these things come flooding back to me and I, and it was in the month. And I said, honey, you're going to grow old with me. And I quoted some scripture that I would never quote, you know, you're going to grow old with me. You're hidden in the shadow of the almighty God, which is a biblical reference. You know, we're going to rock on rocking chairs until we're 90. And this little voice in my head, I remember this for the rest of my days. We had these 11 foot ceilings and this really arched window and these white drapes were flowing in in the summer breeze and the fan was blowing in the upstairs bedroom, huge bedroom at that time over the garage. 
And he was snuggling me and terrified. And I remember saying, no, no, no. And this voice said to me, you, you can't promise him that. And I remember thinking no woman, no mother, father in their right mind is thinking so cynically. And I remember starting to tear up and he's laying on my chest, white bowl cut hair, summer tan, just in his white skivvies, in my pajamas, hugging him. And I felt like I should just smell the scent of him and feel of his little cheek. And I kissed him and I said, you know, you're going to be fine, baby. And I think this thought was, you really can't promise him that. And I said to my, in my mind, well, what should I say to him? Of course, I'm going to tell him that. What else would I say? And the tears ran down my face for a second as if I should appreciate that moment. Look, guys, you can't make this stuff up. This is not my life. This is not the plan I had. But, you know, it ends up being a poignant purpose point for my life. I am so passionate about that process that almost breaks you is probably a piece of your message. And it's totally inspired me to live life differently. And so... I never really talk about this section of it to the degree that I am. So I don't want you to get stuck here. But, you know, at the end of the day, and I want you to be able to take me where you want to take me in this interview, but I think that is the worst moments, you know, of my life, essentially. But today, life is is deeper and more meaningful, has purpose, has passion, probably that I wouldn't have received it any other way. Life has a way of bringing you something you couldn't get any other way. So was there, did you experience like an aha moment where at one point where you just like, you went from kind of, you know, where you were after, after your son's death to getting to a point where you, you kind of, you know, recharged your life and have, because you have such an amazing way about you, a positivity about you that a lot of people simply don't have that haven't experienced that type of deep loss and tragedy in their own lives. So where did you always have that? And you just, and it just kind of came back or was there a turning point or, or kind of an aha moment where you were like, I've got a life to live. I'm going to, and a daughter to live for and, and to live for yourself. Was there a moment like that? Yes. So after that, my marriage dissolves statistically. I think it's 90%. And I won't go into the details of that, but there's affairs and drinking. And, you know, we started drinking that first week at 3.30. I'm a churchgoer. You know, this is not the Pollyanna version, but, you know, I think real life is, okay, you know, he died on Friday. Every day at 3.30 is happy hour. <laughs> and I was not a big drinker, but I mean, I married a virgin. Like I was the church girl. I smoked cigarettes in college. I never did drugs. Like I was this little, I don't know, little house of the prairie girl kind of. And so, you know, but I think what's beautiful about this is that, you know, you have opportunities to fail yourself, to fail your life and, and, and to find a reason that you have breath. And I think I had those conversations with God essentially after the divorce and during the divorce and during, uh, you know, affairs and just an ugly scenario. But I think you do come to a place where I was like, I'm either going under a bridge and, you know, die there or so help me God, something is going to come out of this. And it better be then better than the life I would have had because anything else, it was either this or that. The mediocre wasn't going to work for me. I, I couldn't just do there, there, you know, poor little girl, live your life with this on your shoulder. And so 
I decided, well, if you could redream again, what's that look like? And that's so hard. I would cry just thinking about, I don't know. It was a family of four and a picket fence and a couple salaries. I didn't really have a bigger dream than that. And so I started having conversations with God, like, why did this happen to me? You know, maybe I don't need you. And the evolution eventually comes down to, look, I'm doing life by myself. If I walk away from my faith, I'm doing this by myself. I've had God my whole life. So if this is life with him, maybe I'm scared to death of what life would look like without that. And so maybe I, I actually had a moment in the middle of the night where I had my Bible open and I was just pretty much telling God, look, I'm going to walk or you're going to help me, but you better show up in his bedroom at two o'clock in the morning or I'm out. And I don't know how the future is going to look. And I've never been there before. I was raised in church. I'd never, ever been to that point. And I remember flipping up the Bible and reading something and the the door to his bedroom, which did sometimes close, had been stuck open and it shut like the wind blew my face back. Not all the way, but it it closed almost. And I just remember that it was with such a force that I was so mad though. I, I looked at God and I was like, that's not good enough. I was looking for an angel in the room, you know, like I was like screaming at him, even though I was whispering because the house was sleeping. And I remember thinking, I fell asleep on my Bible that night with my face on his floor. And I remember thinking that God pretty much said to me, yeah, you can do this by yourself. Feel free. But you don't know what I'm saving you from. You don't know what demons crawl up the end of your bed, what left turns, what small things could have swallowed you up if I hadn't been there this whole time. But you can do this. I'm going to love you either way. You can do this any way you want to do this. You know, and so I think at the end of the day, I was like, all right, fair point. I'll try this with you another day. And really, one day at a time, it became making positive choices. Your mindset will will take you down a road if you let it. And the only way that I knew how to change that and the negativity and the potential depression and all the bad choices that I could make was to make 180 degrees and say, all right, I will choose to sing positive music. I will choose to watch positive programming. And to be fair... I know that anybody who goes through this kind of trauma, any television, any news that's negative, you almost can't stomach it. I mean, I I was nauseous for three months every morning before I got out of bed. And there's a really long process that goes with that. But I think changing your mindset, doing the positive programming, somebody gave me the best advice I ever got was probably plan something positive once a month. So we had a family wedding the next month in Hawaii, albeit that was so difficult for me to enjoy. It was a change of scenery. It was a reason to smile, if not for myself, for them. And you're right. You know, at some point, if I fall apart, the only daughter that I have left will be a mess. And I can't let that happen because the guilt of doing this. And I think the other piece was, you know, what is now my ex-husband looking at him and seeing his behavior and the depression that he took on and the ways he tried to cope. He, he was never home. And so, you know, trying to fix it for them was definitely something that I took on as a responsibility. But at the end of the day, you're responsible for you and your success will impact the rest of the world and your own life. If you have 24 hours left of this life or 50 years, 
what are you going to do with it? And it started making me dig deeper for passion. Like, how could I make an impact in the world that's so much bigger than I would have? Not because maybe the world will ever know, but for myself, when I go to bed at night, what really means something to me? And I think that's really it. I'm, I'm taking God. I'm taking my kid. I'm moving forward. You're stepping over the mess that's in front of you. If you've lost your job, if your finances fallen apart, if you're, if you're, spouse is cheating. If you're an atheist and the world is, you know, crumbling for you, whoever you are, there's so, if you have a disease and getting up in the morning is just a pain. I so appreciate that. You're dealing with something that is larger than you. And, and I think the challenge is what, what it, you, it, as long as you're breathing, you, you must have a purpose here. So what does that look like? So did you find, I'm, I'm assuming then that you found writing the book, the golden thread as, as cathartic. And, and also what, what does that mean? What does the title mean exactly to you? If you could explain that to the listeners. Sure. Excellent point. So the golden thread is the small details in your life that lead you forward in a certain direction, paying attention to the pennies, paying attention to the little signs that you think are signs and not ignoring them. Don't poo-poo them to coincidence, whatever those little things are. Listen to that gut instinct, that voice, because I think we have greater power in the world than we think. You know, your thoughts become your actions. Your dreams become your thoughts, become your actions. Your life becomes your story and you have one and it means something in your existence you matter. And I think, did I answer your question? Cause I feel like that's the title named. Was there a piece of that, that I didn't answer? Yeah, no. So you're, so you're just, you're saying basically that everything kind of links one thing links to another. Is, it, is that what you mean? Yes. I mean, at the end of the day, I've become, the book really came out of, you know, he knew that he was going to die and he mentioned it about three times and the storyline of the pennies continues. And I think people were like, you, you actually need to write that down. And I thought, really? And they're like, yes. And I was never going to be a writer. Like I was a C in college English. I mean, I had a thousand people in my class, but this was never woohoo. I want to be a world known author. That was never my plan. I was going to work in medical sales. I was going to make a ton of money. I was going to travel a lot. That was as simple and cut and dried as it was ever going to be. I was going to stay married a hundred thousand years and watch my kids grow. And it just really wasn't any bigger than that. So so I think the book came, and I want to encourage people, if you've got, I've heard the saying, there's something in your house, there's something around you that is opening the doors to what your life purpose is. It's usually tied to your biggest conflict, is my opinion. And so if you're looking for what really sets you on fire and you haven't, it's the thing you're most passionate, frustrated, angry, confused. It's your greatest gift wrapped into that. And I think the gift of my speaking, the gift of my writing came from that broken place. And it really wasn't about changing the world or anything like that. It was sort of cathartic, but it was, I mean, I'm too task oriented. So just doing it for the sake of doing it didn't matter to me either. And the fear was huge that I would suck, that it would fail, that nobody would like it, that it would be whiny. <laughs> and so it took me, I would sit in a Starbucks from 6 a.m. to noon and try not to cry. And the people were there to get me out of my own head. But anyway, I think at the end of the day, I want to compel people. If you have a gift, don't leave it because the reward of the first person who read it, the bawled her eyes out, who was, who was, I'm a Christian. So she was Jewish faith. We'd known each other for a long time. 
She cried so hard and she said, it was hard to even understand her voicemail message. And she said, I knew your story, but this will help a lot of people. And I remember crying and crying and crying, just hearing her voicemail. And I must've listened to it five times. I should have saved it because you don't know what your effort will do for somebody else. And you might not have even dreamed of how your life is impacting someone else based on like you you know, Patty, your strengths in real real estate, your your forthright bluntness is a gift to so many people. And bring your personality to the to your life. Bring your experiences to your life. And I think you don't know if you take that leap of faith, that one step past what you think you have faith for, the harder the struggle, the more sure you should be that that's your talent and that's your gift. So it sounds like you're you're you wrote the book not so much for your own sake, it sounds like, but really for others as a gift for others to really, you know, see what you've experienced, but how you've come out the other side and that they can too. Yeah, exactly. You know, take your biggest challenge, you know, you know, tackle your crisis for, for your purpose. And there's a way out of everything. If you can hold on to hope long enough to do one step at a time, one day at a time. Well, since you have such a vivacious personality, you really have this true gift of kind of, you have such high energy. And believe me, people say that about me, but I tell you what, I think you got me beat. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. Thank so you. I, <laughs> it might be helpful. I, I think it would be interesting. Can you share kind of one of your personal habits that you feel really contributes to your success today? Just a daily habit. Mm, oh gosh, that's good. Okay, so I I haven't told this to anybody. Well, great. <laughs> gosh, I do a couple of things. I recently did a vision board. I've done them in the past, but I recently redid mine. And that was great. And I write down, but every morning I look at that. Every morning I also sort of look in the mirror when I'm brushing my teeth and I say, you know, I'm empowered for, with miracles. I'm empowered to change lives. You know, however you want to put this, God has blessed me with talents that make room for me. God is blessing my lips, my mind, my head, my heart, the words that I say, my hands and my feet for purpose. And maybe your slant is going to be a different slant, but you know, maybe it's, I'm equipped to empower people to change their lives for the better. I'm making change in the world. I'm bringing purpose to the world. I'm bringing passion to the world. Whatever your mantra is, choose what that is and look in the mirror and remind yourself, this is why I breathe today. This is what I'm doing today. And I think it helps sets the tone and lets go of all the lists of things that I make to accomplish. And it just reminds me, it's just a five minute focus while I'm brushing my teeth and I say it out loud to myself. So it sounds like you do a lot of affirmations and gratitude along with that vision board because I definitely have a vision board. I've had a vision board for probably the last almost 10 years or so, probably the last eight anyway. It is really fun. I don't know if you do this too, but it's really fun to kind of put them side by side, a whole bunch of them, and and really see the progression of the things that you set out to do, you know, five years ago, and then now four years ago, and three years ago, too, and see where you've, you know, you've you've excelled, and then now you've set higher sights. So your vision board just keeps getting bigger as far as the plans, more grand plans. So I find that super helpful too. I love that. 
I wish I had done that. I got rid of my old vision board and I've had it for quite a while. But to your point, I know a girlfriend who sent me a picture of a, of a guy that she wanted to marry on her vision board. And she sent me the picture of who he looks like today. I was, I've sent it to people because it's so flabbergasting. They look like the same person. I'm not even making that up. Like I was like, what? No way. So it's, I, I believe, you know, I'm, I'm with you. You know, there's, there's a scripture that says, as a man thinketh, so is he. In other words, like take that or take anybody else's quote, but seriously, the way you perceive your future, your life and who you are does affect. And I had to start retracking too. Like, well, who are you? You can't be this, this dead boy's mother for the rest of your life. Who are you? What do you want to be? And how do you reformulate that? And that can be really painful if you're going through something that just looks hopeless. You know, being comfortable in powerlessness is my new challenge and believing that even in powerlessness, that's just an opportunity for something, the universe, if you will, to say to you, you're not capable, but I am. And I'm in your, I'm in your corner. I'm working for you. I'm working with you to, to, to fulfill everything you were born for. You know, and we should, we should take, take a moment to, I just thought about this really for those listeners who may not know what a vision board is, because really we're assuming since you and I both obviously do, for those who may not know, they've been under a rock for a while because that it has been out there for a while. But for those that haven't, and I'm being totally serious here. You know, it is a, a vision board is simply just taking, I mean, I, I take a poster board kind of like you, you know, like you would do for your, you know, your science project in high school. And, and I cut out, you know, literally cut out pictures from magazines or a lot of times I find things on, I'll go online, whatever I'm looking for and I'll look for that imagery and I'll print it out in color and cut it out and put it literally paste it on that on that board along with words that mean something to me if I'm if I'm going for an award in in real estate and in, in work whatever you know numbers figures income wise whatever it may be relationship you know that you're you're wanting to to better your relationship and things like that anything that you're you're setting your sights on goal wise where you'd like to see your your future life being then you're 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 really painting a picture of what does that look like and you're literally making a vision board, making a plan to do that. So for anybody who's not sure what that is, what we're referencing there with vision boards, that's what Christiane and I are, are talking about that we've been we've been doing and certainly helps. Yes. And you look at it every day. So I've got one that's just about my love life and then I and my personal life. And then I have one about work. And so I was looking at them last night when I was going to bed and just feeling the gratitude and getting the vision for what that's like. So absolutely love it. Yeah. And sometimes, in fact, these days, I know people who use Pinterest to create basically their vision board. They will, they will use it because on Pinterest, of course, you can pull all these images of different things and, you know, you can do it that way. I still like the old fashioned. I'm old fashioned girl. (laughs) I like, I like something that I can touch and feel and, and move around if I want to move it from one room to another. And I don't know about you, but I'm very territorial when it comes to my vision board. I really protect it and not, not many people get to see my vision board. I I know, uh, with, with realtors, I've actually had realtor friends that, you know, will do a vision board party, but I'm the kind of person that, and they'll get together and they'll put their things all, you know, map them all out and kind of have a good old time drinking wine and doing that. But for me, it's so personal and, and I don't want to risk anything that I would put on because I think big anyway, I wouldn't want to put anything on a vision board and have anyone look at that or make a comment to say that I couldn't do that 
or or whatever. I don't I don't even give them that opportunity. So it stays um, <laughs> right up in my mind and in my space and and with a select few of of my greatest supporters, uh, which is basically family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you all the way on that. Well, I tell you what, this has been a fantastic interview and you really bring so much hope and light to such such a, a deep subject that most people can't even comprehend. And the, and those that I do know uh, that have, have dealt with the things, something like you have dealt with, it's just really nice to see someone who can can kind of make a who they are beyond the tragedy that has occurred in their life. And so I would love to have you let us know how our listeners can buy your book, where to find it, where to find you. Thank you so much. So the book is called The Golden Thread. Now, first time book writer, I didn't look. There's 10 different books by that title. So you're going to want to type in, hey, for my first name, period, and Kate's C-A-T-E-S. And it's called The Golden Thread, comma, a memoir. It's got a ball of thread on the front of it. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Archway Publishing, anywhere else, most likely, I believe, as well, that you would normally find those from. The other thing I would mention was that you can find ChristianeKates.com is my website. That's Christiane, K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-E, Kates, C-A-T-E-S.com. I have a podcast as well. You can, those are coming out on Fridays, iTunes and Google Play. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, you name it. So, and I do speaking, obviously I am working on book number two and number three. So I speak to businesses, women's groups, that kind of thing. So thank you. What a pleasure being on your program. I'm so excited about your podcast. We had the opportunity to meet at a Jack Canfield event for the listeners who maybe don't know. And I just think, I just love Pitbull Patty's capacity and humor to really change the world. And I'm going to put you on my podcast as well. So you guys can look for that. But thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Sure. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you again, Christiane. It was really fun. I hope you, when you end up hearing the final version of this episode, you have some wonderful popcorn by your side and you can enjoy it. This wraps up this episode of the Pitbull Patty Show. And I'd like my listeners just to remember to take the time, create your master plan and go for it. Take charge. So if you like what we're doing here, please take a second to like it, review it, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes.